Uh, well, glad you guys are here. How many of you had a uh, below average week this week? It was just <laughs> somebody was <laughs> instantly, yeah. A few of you in here, not as bad as last service. Um, ours was a little crazy. Um, our son Braddock had a little surgery on Monday. Uh, it went okay, and uh, that was good. Um, but he's um, he's teething, and uh, you guys, we were blessed with like the 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 most wonderful child ever. He, I mean, from the time that we brought him home, he's been sleeping uh, all the way through the night, and uh, he just never cries. And so, um, man, I didn't know what you normal people have to go through. <laughs> this week has been <laughs> horrible. Um, just going crazy. People have been giving me tips all morning now um, for how to fix the teething thing. Um, and I got some sort of, I don't know, food poisoning or... Um, stomach flu or something, and Wednesday and Thursday were just no bueno. So um, <laughs> glad to uh, get through that. The cool part is that when you wake up and then it's a whole new day and a fresh start and a new, a new beginning, um, which ironically is really what we're focusing on this morning. There is incredible power in the power of just one moment. <laughs> You are never um, at your worst. Good is only one choice away or one moment away. No matter what your life has been like or trials or, or circumstances or poor choices, the cool thing is that the God of the universe is desiring to give you a, a new moment right in your next one. I don't talk about it a ton, um, but I had a moment just when I was 18 that, that really was just a, a crazy moment that really shifted gears uh, in my life. And um, I was into stand-up comedy before, um, uh, all through junior high and high school, and in fact thought that I maybe would kind of go that direction. And uh, Jay Leno was just a big hero of mine before he even got the Tonight Show job. And so... I was, uh, I was tracking his career and, and just really liked his routines, and they were always clean even before he got on The Tonight Show, and just heard that he was a pretty cool guy. Um, it, it got to uh, the summer after my senior year of high school, and he got The Tonight Show job, and uh, that was only about an hour and 15 minutes from where we lived, and I thought, sweet, like I definitely want to go see a taping of the show. And so um, my grandfather took me down to the NBC studios, and uh, we went to go see a taping of the, the Tonight Show. And tickets are free, but you have to show up at about six in the morning. They give away more tickets than there are seats for to make sure that they pack the audience. And then you have to come back and then stand out front of NBC pretty much all day long until about five o'clock when they let you in for the taping. Um, as God would orchestrate things, uh, we got to sit right dead center, uh, front row for the taping that day. And Jay comes out before the show starts to answer any questions that the audience might have and just kind of messes around with them and has some fun. And he came out, and now he's literally just like from, from me to you, and my heart is just going, one of my entertainment heroes is, is standing right there, and I couldn't formulate a sentence, much less think of a question to ask, and I was just nervous out of my mind, and so people are asking questions, and then I look up, and my hand is in the air, and I don't, I don't know what it's doing there, but 
my hand's telling me your mouth wants to ask a question, and so I couldn't hear it over my heart. And so I, I was like, oh, so he called, hey, yeah, what do, what do you have? And, and I, I, out of my mouth, I just go, well, what's it feel like being somebody's hero? And he looks at me and he goes, oh, well, whose hero would I be? Would I be your hero? And I went, yeah. And I felt like a girl on a date. I blushed and I was just... <laughs> and he goes, are well, you into comedy and stuff? And I said, yeah, I'm really into that. A comedy, comedy writing and all of that. I really like what, what you do. And, and he goes, oh, well, that's cool. Well, send me some of your stuff before the season's over. We might need you. And, and everybody just kind of chuckled, and, and he went on to somebody else. And I was just like on cloud nine. Well, as the show started to get taped and all that, and they would break for commercials, every time he's breaking for a commercial, he would come back over and sit down and so, hey, Ron, and chit-chat. And Kenny G was the musical guest that day. Uh, that was a painful experience. Um, <laughs> And uh, Kenny's wife had baked cookies for Jay, and so he had brought them out. And so during the commercial break, then Jay came over with this big platter of cookies, and I was like, oh, you got to try these. And it was just the most surreal, like freaked out, cool cloud nine experience I I've ever experienced. And, um, and I thought that was going to be kind of it, and uh, I, I was getting ready to leave the thing after the, the taping was over and I turned my back to walk out the back and I feel a tap on my shoulder and I turn around and it's him standing there and he says, well, Ron, I'm serious. I want you to send me some of your stuff and we'll, we'll talk about it. And uh, I went, and I threw up all over his, no, um, that's what I wanted to do. I was like, no way, this is insane. And uh, so we exchanged info and that was the week before I went off to college and uh, about four days into college, I had faxed him some stuff that I had and um, four days into college, phone rings in our dorm room. My roommate answers and says, here, it's for you, hands the phone over to me. I go, hello, on the other end, Ron, it's Jay Leno. Like, and I was like, oh, okay, whoever's doing this is really mean. I don't know why you would mess with me this way. And, and he goes, no, 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 it's Jay. And I, oh, you could hear it. And I'm like, oh, man. And that's when I was like, I was just going to pass out right there. And long story short, out of one moment that got orchestrated, um, it really kind of changed everything. And over the next five years or so, I got to do some writing for The Tonight Show just on a freelance level. And um, just an absolutely incredible opportunity and experience and to get to know um, just a really quality guy in the, in the entertainment industry. Um, those moments that bring hope, those moments that like all of your future or somehow your divine potential gets unlocked is really only dependent on a choice and a moment. Right now as you sit Whatever sin that you are committing that is just anchoring you to where you are currently, God is willing to free you and unlock that divine potential with a simple choice in a simple moment. There is nowhere that you can run to that is going to get out of God's grasp. You can't run so far away that you could never get back to another moment with him. 
All of the dreams that you have or opportunities that you have or relational things going on in your life that maybe are going to require a little bit extra, an epic sort of step of faith on your behalf, that's all going to come down to one moment and one choice. A moment is such a powerful thing. One moment can bring hope. One moment can bring healing. One moment can bring extreme joy. One moment can bring forgiveness. One moment can save your life. One moment can save someone else's life. And one moment can alter your future. And I don't think there's anybody that really does a better job of painting the picture of seizing a moment, of knowing that good is just one choice away than a woman named Rahab. And she's the focus of our time here this morning. So if you brought your Bible, open up to the book of Joshua, and we will uh, dive in. Joshua is right near the front of your Bible. Go to Joshua chapter 2. A little bit of a background on this situation right here. We're going to find out that Rahab lives in a city called Jericho. And Jericho is the major hub, most fortified city in a land called Canaan, which was the promised land. Now see, the Israelites, God's people, about 40 years before this story takes place, missed out on their moment. They had an opportunity, a moment for everything to change for the better, and they blinked, they hesitated, they didn't advance, they didn't take a step of faith, they opted for okay, not epic. And God was saying, we're going to give you this promised land, and so they sent in 12 spies. Well, 10 of them came back and said, there's really big people in there, super strong, I don't think we're going to be able to take it over. And they looked at the people and the situation and the circumstance and they compared it to God and they went, nope, people are stronger. And so they were forced to wander the desert for the next 40 years, many of whom, most of whom ended up dying in the desert, never getting to see the promised land. They missed their moment. They missed their choice. But now about 40 years later, God's given another opportunity. He's given a second chance. He's given them another moment and another choice. And that choice is, go back in. I'm going to give over this city of Jericho, this promised land to you. And so Joshua is the leader of the Israelites at this point. He sends a couple spies in to check out the whole deal. And this is where we jump in. Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now this is a pretty interesting thing. For us to really grasp Rahab and this amazing defining moment that she's going to seize in her life, for us to really get all of her, we have to understand where she lives. We're going to understand so much more about her and who she was based on figuring out where she, she lived. 
Jericho, like I said, was the hub. It was the most fortified city in the promised land. So if the Israelites are able to conquer this city, then the smaller little cities will be easy. So this one was absolutely instrumental in the downfall of the rest of the promised land. But Jericho was very well fortified. Um, It had a, a couple thousand people living in it. And it was surrounded by these two walls, not just one, but two walls. And the way the walls worked was there was a retaining wall, and then on top of that, an even bigger wall. And then if you were able to get over that, there was a steep embankment that went upward about a couple hundred yards to another, a second inner wall that was even higher. And then within inside that inner wall was the boundaries of the city. In fact, take a look at this picture. It's a little crude, but you'll get the concept. They did some excavations in the 1930s and the 1950s in this area and actually uncovered evidence of the existence of this city of Jericho and the, the walls that subsequently will be crumbled by the power of God as the Israelites go in, march around it six days, and then the seventh day they blow their horns and the walls come down. Now we'll get to that in a moment. But the way it worked is, down there at the bottom where the rubble is, that would be a retaining wall. The retaining wall was somewhere between 12 and 15 feet high. And then on top of that retaining wall, the outer wall stood between 20 and 26 feet high. That's pretty tall. If you were able to surmount the 12 to 15 feet plus the 20 to 26, then you would get to this steep embankment that ran up to a wall that was even bigger, that was about 10 feet thick, even taller. The base of the inner wall was 46 feet above ground level down there by the retaining wall. And so it was a pretty difficult deal to get into this city. But as would make sense, in the center of Jericho is where the wealthiest people lived. Why? Because it was the safest. Right there in the dead center was where the wealthiest people lived and were protected. Because in order to get to them, you'd have to get over the two outer walls all the way through the city and into the middle. And so it just makes sense. The wealthiest people lived in the middle. Now, the poorer you got, the further out from the center of the city you got so that the poorest people lived on the perimeter of that inner wall right there. But what's interesting is that there's about six acres within the walls of Jericho. It's not a whole lot of land, but about six acres, and the archaeologists uncovered about that, that timing back then, that roughly 200 people per acre would, would, would live there in Jericho. So there's about 1,200 people crammed into six acres with inside the wall of that city. But we know that there were a lot more people there by what they uncovered. And what's interesting to note is that the poorest of the poor, the, the true slum district, the outcasts of society, didn't even get to live in, within the inner wall boundaries. The slum district, the poorest of the poor, the outcasts of society, were made to live between the inner wall and the outer wall. It was incredibly unsafe. It was the poorest area. And they were literally living on a steep embankment that only was a couple hundred yards. True slum district. 
And this is where Rahab lived. As a prostitute, as one in the slum district, she lived in between those two walls and literally her house was the furthest one out. The back of her house, the wall that made up the back of her house was actually the outer wall of the city of Jericho. And this is where she lived. It's such an amazing picture to me about what that paints. For what our circumstances and bad choices can do to us. It really just pushes us out to the exterior. And society is only happy to oblige in moving those sorts of people out. Any of us that just look at other people in a judgmental attitude and go, well, they're way worse than us, and I would appreciate if you were on the other side of the wall, we do this constantly. And so Rahab, whether it was by her own choice or bummer circumstances that got her to this point, she's chosen a vocation of prostitution and she's stuck on the outskirts of the city in this really poor, poor slum district area. Well, this would have been a natural place for the spies to swoop in. All they gotta do is get on over that first wall and boom, there's a house right there, and what better secretive place to hide than in the house of a prostitute? They dive in. We don't know how, but the king of Jericho found out that the spies were there, and he sends these guards to go to Rahab's house. And he sends the guards and says, you gotta tell these people to come out. You're hiding these spies, they're gonna come spy out the land, they're gonna go back, and the Israelites are gonna wipe us out. You gotta let them come out. Give them up. And in a moment here, she's got a real opportunity. She has a defining moment in her life, an opportunity to seize this moment, to make a choice, to turn from her past and embrace her future. Let's see what she does. Look at verse four. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may be able to catch up with them. Parentheses. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. There's her moment. In a moment that could have gone a completely different way, this prostitute, this outcast of society, decides to move with God's people, to move with God himself. You guys, any time that you decide to move with God, you can't be stopped in fulfilling your purpose. It's that whole thing, if God is for us, then who can be against us? You have an opportunity several moments every single day to move with God or to do nothing. To go the direction maybe that you're sensing that he wants you to go, whether it's overcoming a temptation or starting some new ministry or talking to your boss or whatever it is, you've got these moments all day long. And God's just going, uh, here it is. If you go for this, you can't be stopped. If you don't, it's another story. And Rahab 
decides to go for it. Rahab decides to seize this moment and make a choice to walk away from stuff in her past and embrace what God has for her right here in this very moment. And so she steps up. She hides the guys up in her roof. She turns to the guards and she lies. Now you guys, the Bible nowhere commends Rahab for her lying in this situation. And perhaps God would have worked something else out if she had been truthful but this is what she does. And to me, you guys, it's an interesting picture into the character and the heart of Rahab. I mean, she is just really raw in trying to find out what God wants her to do and this reckless abandon that she's just gonna go for it. And she doesn't have to have her life all put back together. She just realizes, wow, God's pretty incredible and spectacular. I'm gonna go his direction instead of my own. And so she's all about that, but she's still... A liar. She's still a prostitute. And how cool is it that she realizes, perhaps based on the fact that she is a prostitute, how much she needs God. She's not going to pull a Balaam who said, I want all this stuff over here, fame and fortune, and I've got enough God. She's the exact opposite. I think because she didn't have a whole lot of stuff, she was very aware of her need physically, emotionally, socially, and certainly spiritually. And so when her moment comes up, she's pretty humble about it. She's pretty broken about it. And she's going to go for it. Well, verse 7, So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. How in the world do we get to this place that Rahab is at? How do you trade an okay moment for an epic one? How do you stare these moments that are in our face in so many different ways, so many times a day, and make this kind of choice that Rahab makes? I think it's faith. Having faith that God is bigger than your moment. Because God does an amazing thing through the Bible. He weaves this thread of this little woman named Rahab throughout a lot of scripture. She is going to appear in the book of Hebrews and in James. And both the writer of Hebrews and James are going to praise Rahab for her faith. There was something about this woman's raw, reckless faith that was just absolutely the most pliable putty in the hands of God to be used for something quite spectacular, quite epic. I mean, look, even last week, God used a donkey to get someone else's attention. The donkey was easier to work with than some dude that thought he had it all figured out. And the faith of this prostitute woman with a checkered past is going to be exactly what God needs. This humble heart, this obedient heart, this surrendered heart, just to say, I know I'm at my worst. 
but I get that you are God. You're huge, you're powerful. And I get that you're bigger than this moment. And so I'm willing to let you pull me away from my past and my mistakes and my issues and I'm ready to move with you. Would you unlock my divine potential? That choice to do good is just one moment away. Well, she had heard of God, obviously. She turns to the spies and she says, we, we've heard all about your God. This is how I've got so much faith. I just heard what he did. And we heard about the Red Sea thing. That news got all the way back here. The Red Sea thing was pretty darn huge. I mean, we heard about the thing parting and then you guys getting through and then, whew, whoa, there go the enemies and that's a bummer and we're the enemies and so we're pretty scared. That's why we built these huge walls because we knew you were coming and so I'm pretty scared. But I'm also very aware that there's powerful God on board with you. I would very much like to be on board with you too. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing in this moment, because I see that God is powerful. I mean, isn't faith just that, to say that God is bigger in the here and now than what I can see? He's bigger than my doubts, he's bigger than my issues, he's bigger than my hang-ups, he's bigger than my weaknesses. That's what faith is all about. It's acknowledging that he's bigger and then stepping out in such a way that proves that what you said, you believe. She says right here in verse 11, when we heard of it, when we heard of the Red Sea deal, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. Catch this, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Here's the huge deal, she said. What a confession of faith this is that she goes, wow, you got to dial into this because we heard about this. It was so clear that God's huge and powerful. Your God is God of heaven and he's God of here and now earth, this very moment. And if God is the God of earth and he's the God of this moment, then for sure I can move with him. For sure I can leave my sin and my issue and go on to what he's called me to. For sure I can embrace this conversation that he wants me to have with somebody. For sure I can start this new ministry opportunity that he's calling me to. For sure I can go for my dreams, whether it's stand-up comedy or being an astronaut or being the kind of husband or wife that you want to be or need to be. God's given you this moment. And however deeply or strongly you struggle with pulling it off, you need to breathe a sigh of relief today that the divine potential for which God has created you is available in the very next moment. Your next choice can begin a whole different journey with God. So they strike a deal. Rahab turns to the spies and she says, okay, I've done this thing for you. You hear my heart. Here's what I'm gonna ask. 
would you just protect me and my family? That's all I'm asking. I won't say anything. I'm not going to rat you out. Would you, when you guys come back to take the city and God shows up and does his deal, will you just remember me and my family? And the spies go, sure. Here's what you got to do. You don't say anything. You keep your side of the deal. We're going to keep our side of the deal. But here's what we're going to ask you to do. When we come in, everything's coming down. And it's going to be a pretty crazy moment and a crazy day. So here's the rules. For you to be safe and protected, you have to bring all of your family in your house with you. Anybody that you want to be saved, they better be in your house or it's going to be bummer days for them. Here's also what we need you to do. We need you to hang up this red cord outside of your window. And that red cord is going to be a sign to us and just a symbol to God that you are to be protected. When we come in, it's going to be a little bit crazy and we're going to be rushing around and stuff's going to be coming down. And so we need to make sure that we don't go for your place accidentally. And so hang that red cord out there. That will be the sign that you have done an incredible thing for us, that God is going to pull you out of your past and send you to your future. And so they give her this cord. She ties it up there for everybody to see. Undoubtedly, people would have walked by over the next few days and seen this red cord hanging out of Rahab's window. And some of them might have just gone, what is that? And walked on. Others may have looked up and gone, oh, it's Rahab's house. Who knows what that's about? And just continued. (laughs) But here's the deal. Where man sees a red flag, God sees a cord of faith. That's pretty good, by the way. You can do an amen or a right on to that. That would be pretty sweet. <laughs> Where man sees a red flag, God sees a cord of faith. What good news that is. Good news for all of us that at our worst, good is just one choice away. Well, let's find out what happens. Flip over to Joshua chapter 6, just a couple chapters later. The spies have escaped. They go back to the Israelite camp. They uh, prepare themselves. God gives them the instructions. You're going to cruise into Jericho. You're going to walk around it six times, six days. You're just going to be walking around, and that's going to freak the people out inside, but they're not going to know what you're doing. On the seventh day, you break out those horns, and you blow them. And when you do, then the rocks are going to come crumbling down. The walls are going to come crumbling down. They're not going to topple over on you, because that might crush you, and that would be a bummer. Uh, So we're going to have them crumble. That's a cool foresight thing on God's part. Crumble. When it crumbles, it's going to make a little ladder thing so that you can crawl up over the embankment and get in inside the city and do your deal. Uh, God had the whole thing figured out. And so uh, they're just about to do it. Joshua leads his people. They've marched around. He's just about to have them blow the trumpets. And 
This is what happens. Verse 17. Joshua says, The city and all that, it's, that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. Now remember this, you guys. Because in a few weeks, Lynn is going to close out the epic series with a story of a guy named Achan that comes right from this if we were to continue reading right here. So you go study, and then you will be as smart as he is when he talks, which is hard to pull off. Um, But this is interesting. He says, go in. We're going to route this whole deal, but go get Rahab. She needs to remain untouched. Remember that moment that she had was a powerful moment being on board with God. We're going to protect and honor that oath that we made with her. Don't touch any of the stuff, the gold, the silver. Don't take that for yourself. We're going to handle that. That's to be God's. Don't touch it. And so they go for it. They blow the trumpets. The walls come crumbling down. And they go in. Check out what happens. Verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Isn't that such a cool picture? That her whole family makes it out. The family of her mother and father and brothers, who you guys, you know. How many times do you think that in her past, in Rahab's past, they were trying to save her from the bad choices that she was making? How many times their heart was broken over the decisions that she had made, the moments that she had passed up. And now in a crazy and yet totally epic God way, God is gonna use the faith of this prostitute woman to save the people that had probably been trying to save her. It's so cool. So, verse 24, then they buried the whole, burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. In one defining moment, Rahab seized that moment, went with God, turned her back on her past, and embraced her divine potential that God had for her, as well as for her to move into a community of people that really truly cared for her. A a new family, a new start. It's so cool because as the archaeologists in the 30s and the 50s had gone in and they had uh, done this excavation, they found the building, the walls that had just crumbled down. They found everything else burnt up. 
But interestingly enough, they found a little section of the outer wall on the north side of Jericho that still remained intact, the only area that they could find that was still intact and attached to it were still some of the housing dwellings that were attached to that wall. Evidence that these epic stories that God has been writing for all of history are in fact true. Well, she moves out and in with the Israelites. And if there's ever a more powerful picture of how a moment can bring new life, I don't know one than this. Look at Matthew chapter one and then we're done. All of that took place in about 1400 BC. So about 1400 years later, Jesus Christ himself is going to walk the earth in flesh and blood. And just to bridge the gap between the New Testament and the Old Testament, just to prove that God is writing these epic stories and giving people these epic moments for all of history, they give us the genealogy of Jesus at the beginning of Matthew, the ancestry of Jesus people that in some way, shape, or form are related to Jesus himself or a part of his family. Check it out. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And you will go on to discover that this lineage leads to Jesus himself. What an interesting knot in the family tree of Jesus. And you guys, if ever there was proof, if ever there was a picture that anyone can be a part of the person of Jesus Christ, it's Rahab. And in one defining moment, she didn't blink, she didn't hesitate, she stepped out in bold faith and embraced a future that would give her more than she could ever have hoped and left her past full of pain worse than she could possibly imagine. What will you do with your next moment? Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us these moments every single day to move with you. Just ask that you would give us strength to uh, look these moments that we've got in our face and make the choice to move with you. And whether that means 
stepping away from some of the sin that's pulling us down or just embracing some of the epic stuff that you really have for us. God, give us that big, fat faith that would allow us to do that. Thank you for the example of Rahab and her faith to us. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.